1: I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. In
0: 1847, a man had a dream. He made the first American candy machine. His candy was next to perfection. Yes, Necco was an immaculate confection.
1: That's Nate Gibson singing his song "An Immaculate Confection," his lyrical tribute to the Necco candy wafer. The candy bore the name of the New England confectionery company, or Necco, the oldest continuously running candy company in the country up until its closure in 2018. The company, which was based in Revere, Massachusetts, produced Clark Bars, Mary Janes, Candy Buttons, Sky Bars, Squirrel Nut Zippers, Sweethearts, and most notably, Necco Wafers. The New England confectionery company shaped the candy industry in our region and beyond. Necco's recent closure shocked sweet tooths across the country, but the historic candies are living on, produced by the Ohio-based Spangler Candy Company. We're talking all things candy, confections, and the future of our region's sweets industry. Joining me now, Darlene Lacey, an author and curator of the Candy Wrapper Museum. Her most recent books are Necco, An Epic Candy Tale, and Necco, The Archive Collection, An Almost Lost History of the New England Confectionery Company. Welcome, Darlene.
0: Thank you for having me on the show, Callie. It's great to be here. And boy, that was a cool song.
1: Isn't it a cool one? I happen to be. I know it's controversial. I love Necco wafers, particularly the licorice ones. So, first question, of course, do you like Necco wafers?
0: I love Necco wafers, <laughs> and the licorice ones are my favorite. I don't care what anybody exactly. says. Exactly,
1: that's how I feel as well. Um, so, your book, the Necco, the Archive Collection, and Almost Lost History of the New England Confectionery Company, is 254-page catalog of showcasing classic package designs and ephemera from 1881 to 2018. Give us a few examples of what's included in the book.
0: Oh, gosh, there are so many items in there that I believe have not seen the light of day for 70 years or more. I received this scrapbook archive that was rescued from the dumpsters at NECO when they moved from Cambridge to Revere that, were these meticulously annotated examples of all their packaging from the 1950s. And a lot of that appears in the book, that's sort of the core or the heart of the catalog. But also I received all kinds of old wrappers from the 1920s, the 1910s, when Necco was still in South Boston, and also photographs and other ephemera, advertising ephemera from the uh, family of brands like old photos of Miss Mary Jane. They used to have Mary Janes that would go to the drugstores and grocery stores, which was a surprise to me. And also just really great old artist comps and original wrappers of the Necco wafers. You you get to see all kinds of different designs for the Necco wafers that I don't think anyone really remembers or knew ever existed. So we cover all kinds of content, including the wafers, Canada mints, bolster bars, squirrel nut zippers, uh, you name it, they're in there.
1: Now, just to be clear, what you said, there was a different design for Necco's earlier. Were they at one time not wafers?
0: They were always wafers. But interestingly, Necco marketed them in a number of ways when they first started out at the turn of the 20th century. You know, they weren't really sure, I guess, how to position them. Or or maybe they just felt that there were many ways that you could. But as you'll see in the book, in the early times they focused them on being the perfect uh uh treat for hostesses at afternoon teas they
1: yeah they had
0: them you know as a described as a fairy feast in a garden of delights you know very delicate very romantic and then as time went on they started to skew them a little bit more towards kids and then later into the nostalgia market. And so you have these very beautiful ornate Necco Wafers ads as well as beautiful examples of their early packaging so they really changed a lot and it wasn't until the 1960s when they started advertising with this sort of child outlaw character the Necco kid that they depicted Necco wafers as many of us think of them as candy poker chips
1: now, we should say that you also wrote Neko, An Epic Candy Tale. So Neko, the archive collection, is a companion piece uh, to that. Is that why, as you mentioned, the scrapbook, which had a lot of this stuff that you'd not even seen, came into your hands that people knew of your interest in Neko and, and got it to you?
0: Yes. Well, really how it all came about was as you mentioned previously, I'm the curator of the Candy Wrapper Museum, which is basically my collection of candy wrappers that I started when I was a teenager. And I always thought of it as a museum that I would share with the world, not just a collection. And so I have a lot of the museum up online and this led one of NeCO's former vice presidents, vice president of research and development, to think of me, to send some of the ephemera that he had collected uh, over the years. And also again, when NeCO made their big move and they had to clear out a lot of stuff. So when I received the scrapbook, this was really the awakening for me to to realize how big Neko's history was. And I thought, okay, I have to share this with the world. It's a little too big to put just on a website and certainly way too big for social media. So I set about with my husband, Joe, to restore and digitize and clean up everything. And in that process, I thought, well, I'll write this simple history of Neko to set the stage for it. And as I dove into NECCO's history, granted it's 171 years, so I should not have been surprised, but the more I did my research, the more history I found. And it was just so fascinating and so rich. And it was at that time I learned that so many other Boston and Cambridge confectionery companies were all part of it became part of NECO as the years went on and I felt that I needed to do justice to the histories of everyone that came together to become part of NECO and as I worked on this history, I wound up with oh, well over a thousand sources that I synthesized for my research, and the history just got bigger and bigger, and it got so large that I thought, well, I need two books. <laughs> I need the history, I need the history book, <laughs> okay. and I need the companion piece that really is all the big, beautiful, digitized, and restored images of the Neko ephemera.
1: Let's put a pause on the Neko story to just for a moment jog over to your story, What in the world made you start collecting candy wrappers? You know, it's a fairly commonplace
0: thing today, but back in the day, I thought I was the only person in the world doing it. And people thought it was really kind of bizarre, right? Uh, But when I was a teenage girl, I didn't have an allowance, and uh, I had these friends that had collections, and uh, I thought, oh, I would love to collect something, but really the only thing that I purchase regularly is candy (laughs) because I had a sweet tooth, (laughs) and so I got this idea that I would just go down to the 7-Eleven like I normally would, but in this case, I would look for any kind of candy wrappers or packaging that I felt had either some sort of artistic merit, was funny or humorous in some way, or it was something ephemeral that probably wouldn't last long on the shelves. And I thought these would be great things to collect and and just share over time. And my original vision was, in my old age, to basically set up a roadside attraction where I would have the Candy Wrapper Museum. But as I got older and the internet came to be, I thought, wow, this real already is really the ultimate roadside out here. Let me just put part of my collection up online and see how that goes. And I was really overwhelmed by the positive reaction to it. It just immediately received thousands of visitors. It got written up in the press. People were saying, well, now this world has just come too far where we have a candy wrapper museum. <laughs> 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 uh, but, but I guess
1: I was, hey, yeah, if it makes you I happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm just fascinated that you, uh, for all of the wrappers you have in your museum, and you can tell us how how big that is, how, how much you estimate, because from the pictures, it looks like I can't even calculate. Um, you ate every bit of the candy before you kept the wrapper. That's what I think is interesting. <laughs> So you're a true yes, researcher. I am. You have to taste the candy,
0: right, before you can really talk about the wrapper. And so, yeah, you know, and I must say, I, I can't say that I enjoyed each and every piece of it. So,
1: but you ate it, so it's good. All right, now now back to Necco and uh, the the Necco wafers. First of all, um, as you talked about before, having all these other candy companies come under the umbrella, is that why then Necco? was making all these different kinds of candies at one point because they sort of acquired or brought under the umbrella of the New England Confectionery Company other makers of different candies?
0: Yeah, I would say that's a lot of it. But also just to give a little historical reference, Necco was the result of an amalgamation of three rather large companies to begin with when it formed in 1901. You had Chase and Company, Wright and Moody, and Phobes, Hayward and Company, which aren't necessarily familiar names today, but Chase and Company, which began in 1847, basically, gave birth to the American candy industry with uh, Oliver Chase creating the first candy machine. All three companies were making different things, chocolates and these lozenges and other kinds of confections. And so when they came together, in 1901, under the brand name Necco Sweets, they were already selling 500 different kinds of confections. And then over the years, they continued to acquire other brands or in some case licensing. And because of that, they just had this juggernaut, which I was not aware of at the time. But one of the features in an epic candy tale is a candy list that I put together throughout my research to just count up how many Necco brand candies I could find during the course of my research. And I wound up with 1,380, which by no means is the complete list, but I feel like I've gotten very close to it.
1: Wow. Well, uh, just so people get a sense of the variety of Necco, the New England uh, confectionery company, here's more of Nate Gibson's song, An Immaculate Confection, listing out the treats Necco is famous for. Revere is the home of the factory of the New England Confectionery Company,
0: and they're still making billions of sweets, like the Sky Bar, and the Squirrel Zippers, and the Mary Jane Peanut Butter Molasses Chews, and the Candy Buttons, and the Clark Bar, and the Canada Mints, and the sweethearts' conversation hearts with the cute little phrases like love you, true love, fax me, email me, and
1: of course those American classics, that free wafer treat. <laughs> you got a lot of them in. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. But what neko was known for 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 folks like me who you know, we're not squirrel nut zippers people. Uh, we're really those wafers. And as we began this conversation, we talk about how uh, controversial they were. But let's take a listen to a clip from The Phantom Gourmet. This is a television show here in Boston that uh, visits various restaurants and uh, looks into to foodstuffs. And they did a visit to the factory back in 2013 to have someone there describe how the Necco wafers are made.
0: We mix it all together in a giant mixer, it mixes it together and it comes out in 900 pound batches and we dump them into bins and from there the bins get moved over to our wafer cutters and we have people who manually take chunks of the wafers and throw them up into a hopper and we've got someone called a feeder who feeds the paste down onto the machine and each wafer gets individually cut. They get punched down into individual wafers and they go for a ride on a 30 foot long dryer. 35 minutes, and then they come out the end, they're not quite ready to eat yet, then they get stacked up in trays for 24 hours, and then they're ready for rolling.
1: There's even more to it than that, but we thought that was the heart of it. Um, I enjoyed that so much. I wanted to play that clip for another reason, because the factory closed. There was a big, you know, heartfelt loss here, even for people who didn't like the Necco wafers themselves. And the the company closed in 2018. They moved from where they had been to Cambridge, and then they closed. And for a while, there was much discussion, Darlene, about there never being any more Necco wafers, or for that matter, some of the other candies. But then the Spangler uh, candy company picked it up. Talk about the Emotional tie to Neko wafers that I know you know about from having written so much about the company and those wafers. It
0: was a really big deal. I remember when it hit the news. And of course, everyone's emailing and calling me and asking what's going on. And I'll have to admit, I was in a bit of denial at the time because that, you know there was a lot of on again, off again negotiations where it looked like Neco was going to be saved, and then Neco wasn't saved, and. Uh, and so people were rushing out and purchasing all kinds of Neko candies I have some friends that still have a stash of them from that time for a rainy day, and fortunately Spangler saved so much of it. but that's one of the chapters that I have at the end of an epic candy tale. I have this really great section called Neko Now and Then, in which we show photographs of the old Necco factories and the buildings today and yesterday, along with quotes from people whose lives were touched by NECO or have these sweet memories of NECO. And a lot of these memories center around how people felt when they heard the news about NECO closing. And there was just such a sadness because this was a great American company. It was an institution. The NECO Wafers was a candy that you know, has been hypothesized to be probably the most, you know, single, single candy that has been consumed around the world by people because it was sold for so long and they sold so many millions of rolls of Necco wafers. And so it just really felt like a big piece of America and the candy industry was gone for good, which it was. And even though most of the Family of brands has been, you know, brought back, which has been really wonderful and very fortunate. It's still just very sad to know that Necco is no more because they really gave it a great run.
1: Now, let me ask about Necco's influence as an innovator. You talked a little bit about how they came together and and instituted some some ways of of manufacturing that were different but just in general is there an influence in the candy industry itself that came from you know how the company operated or how, how they made their candy or envisioned their candy
0: i think there was i i look at neko's history and one of the things that i noticed throughout the decades was how NECO never just, they didn't sit on their laurels in terms of saying, well, we invented this, we have this much production going. They were always in the lens of let's keep improving. They were always looking to improve their processes. And I think they were really a leader in that regard. And, you know, one of the things that really should be mentioned, even though it was early on, going back to Chase and company and the Chase brothers, although Oliver Chase invented the first candy machine for America, his brother Daniel said, wait a minute, we could take this one step further, what if We printed little love notes on the candy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and came up with the invention of conversation hearts or conversation candies, as they were called at the time, because they weren't just hearts. There were all kinds of whimsical shapes and all kinds of different sayings on them. They were very, very creative. And you know, so many companies copied that, and you know, took a, you know, took inspiration from them. But then another great innovation of Necco's was the Sky Bar, where they called it the candy box in a bar because it had the four chambers and one with different fillings inside it. And this was something that, from what I read. There was a candy bar kind of like that in Europe. I was never able to really find out what it was or what happened to it, but the engineers at Necco, they saw the potential of this candy bar. So they bought the recipe, brought it back to New England, and then worked on their own machinery to find a way to perfect it mass produce it. And to this day, it's one of the most difficult candy bars to make. And so that's why you don't see it often replicated. And so they were always pushing the envelope when it came to the manufacturing
1: at Necco. Do you think that the Spangler manufactured Necco wafers or any of the other candies taste the same?
0: Very similar, but a little different is what I notice. Actually, I have quite a few vintage Neko wafers here in the house and conversation hearts. And I don't really want to eat them, but uh, I have taken some of the Neko wafers that were a little more recent before Neko went out of business, and I've compared them to the Spangler. And I can tell you that the Spangler Neko wafers they taste basically the same, but they are a little crispier. And- a
1: little thinner. Interesting, huh? I wonder if that's deliberate or is that just what happened when they decided to make it. It's interesting. Aside from the innovation, the emotional feeling that people had for Necco here in New England, I mean, there is a, a lot of uh, sort of cultural legacy from the company. I didn't know until preparing to talk to you that in Traces Park which I'm told is a short walk from Central Square in Cambridge. There is a neko wafer sculpture. I'm going to go look for it one day, but I didn't know that. Did you? Yeah,
0: yes, I found I found that just really fairly recently as well. And uh uh yeah, it's really charming. You need to go check that out. But yeah, there's all kinds of traces of neko that just still are in the neighborhoods and if you look around and of course some people's hearts. You know, one of the things about Neko was that they were one of the first U.S. companies to really give benefits like life insurance to the employees and uh, uh, pensions. And they had great loyalty with their workforce there. And generations of workers of these families worked side by side there. And so you had these long histories, long family histories with people who worked at NECO. And so that was one of the heartbreaking things when NECO closed its doors because so many families had poured so much of their hearts and their lives into making the candies and there was so much pride and one of the things that i've heard that i guess we'll never have a chance to experience was just the incredible taste of the candies as they rolled off the assembly lines so and there was just nothing like it to just pluck a piece a fresh piece of candy off the line and taste it. So I, I don't know when the day will come when people, especially in the Cambridge and Boston Revere area, won't remember Neco. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it has certainly left a lasting, Footprint in the region, and I think across the country. I know so many people were such fans of Neko candies.
1: So, Darlene Lacey, uh, founder of the Candy Wrapper Museum. So, you've eaten a lot of candy. What is for for you the legacy of Neko and specifically the Necco wafer?
0: I think it goes back to. It might sound a little corny, but simpler times and just simplicity of enjoying these types of old-fashioned penny candies, where I know I think of it from my own childhood. Some people, you know, would use them as communion wafers, I'm sure you've heard, and checkers, and you could play with them like coins. And there was just this really kind of innocence to this candy. One of the things about the Necco wafers was that it was a role that you could share. And so, so many family members, you, you would share the candy. Sometimes, Somebody would be, oh, I want just the chocolate ones or I'll trade you these for those. And there was just this great bringing together with the candy that I just don't think you have it anymore. I feel like there's been something lost in terms of just the simple sentimental feeling of candy back in the
1: day. Well, thank you so much for joining me with this sweet Conversation. Thank you, Callie. Darlene Lacey is an author and curator of the Candy Wrapper Museum. Her most recent books are Necco, an epic candy tale, and Necco: The Archive Collection, an almost lost history of the New England Confectionery Company. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Jubilee and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Eli Chavez. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.